Amen. Rejoice in that wonderful message and song. And our hearts ought to be thrilled with the grace of God that would save a poor sinner like me and like you. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 16. We're going to be looking at verses 35 to 40. And as we close out Acts chapter 16, and we'll be moving on, Lord willing, to Acts chapter 17 next week. There are some things that I want us to see as believers that I, that I think are really important. I'm going to start it with illustrating from a case handled by Alliance for Defending Freedom. We are actually um, clients of Alliance for Defending Freedom. It is a, a group, a nonprofit organization. It's an association of Christian attorneys all across our country that stand for religious liberty. And really the point of the message this morning for those of us who are saved is that we ought not to be in, involved or in cahoots with unjust injustice. Let's just put it that way, in injustice. We should leverage our legal rights for the good of the church. And when we have occasion to use those rights that God has given us. And so this is a case called Burrett versus New York City Department of, or New York Department of Transportation. David Burrett, in 2007, had a semi-trailer parked on his own property in the grass. He had painted gospel messages on the side, uh, the two sides and on the front of his trailer. He got a, a letter later on that year from the New York Department of Transportation saying that it, what he was doing was illegal and uh, that he was encroaching on the right-of-way, that he needed to uh, pay several uh, different fees for several different applications, which they might or might not uh, grant that request. And uh, so uh, David uh, did what he needed to do as far as he actually moved the trailer back 12 feet so he would not be guilty of encroaching. He actually removed uh, the sign off the front of the trailer but not off of the side. So he made sure he was well within uh, the legal bonds, uh, boundaries of the law and they still came after him. The state still wanted to come after him. So uh, Brother Burt got a hold of Alliance for Defending Freedom and they represented him. And in 2008, they got a temporary restraining order allowing Daniel to keep his trailer there with the gospel messages on them. Uh, in 2009, uh, the New York Department of Transportation agreed to a settlement to permanently allow Daniel to keep his trailer displaying the gospel message signs parked on his private property without having to apply for the permits. The permits they were wanting him to apply for, other businesses that had signs on their trailers did not require those permits. So they were doing religious persecution against the gospel, Daniel was trying to be a witness through having that trailer parked on his property. In 2009, after that settlement, the next year, God called Daniel to be a missionary, and he traveled to 28 countries on five continents, helping missionaries spread the gospel until the Lord called him home in 2020. Daniel Burrett was not afraid to insist on his legal rights and protections as an American citizen and as a citizen of the state of New York. But it was not for his own personal gain. It was for the sake of the gospel and furthermore, uh, for the sake of religious liberty for all of us. I mean, who's to say that the next thing that New York might not say is, hey, listen, there's a church with a sign in the front. You have a gospel message on it. That's offensive to people. You've got to take that down. That's illegal. And so Daniel exercised his 
rights, his legal rights, on the behalf of the body of Christ for the sake of the gospel. And that's what I want to challenge us to do. And you say, I don't know that that's ever going to happen. Well, folks, uh, more and more, uh, persecution is taking off the subtlety mask and becoming much more overt and straightforward. And God has granted us to live in this country that affords great freedoms and great religious liberties. As a matter of fact, just as a byline, let me encourage you to be praying for Paul Smith and Citizen Impact as they represent us at our state capitol as well as sometimes going to Washington, D.C. And they are lobbying and working very hard for religious liberty and the right to life and other moral issues uh, that represent us as believers. So look with me, if you would, in Acts chapter 16. Look at verses 35 to 40. We'll read it together. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeants, saying, Let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told the saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. The first thing that I want you to see is that Christians should not be complicit in unjust schemes. In verses 35 to 37, we see that these magistrates change their minds. Now, what is the background? We looked at this last week. If you weren't with us last week, let me bring you up to speed. Paul and Silas are preaching in Philippi. They assuredly gathered as a team that God had called them to go to Macedonia to preach the gospel. Philippi was a chief city within that region of Philadelphia, and so that's where they go. As they are proclaiming the gospel, they they, they find out there's a group of God-fearing Gentiles meeting down at the river for worship. They go there, they share the gospel. Lydia and others there, some of those other women, put their faith in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Lydia then goes and evangelizes her household, and they also trust Christ as Savior. And so God is building a church there at Philippi. But we always know and should expect that when we are doing a work for Christ, that Satan is going to oppose the advance of Christ's kingdom. And so this demon-possessed girl followed Paul and Silas, and the Holy Spirit forbade Paul until God's sovereign timing, God forbade Paul from turning and casting the demon out the first time. But on that exact day, at that exact moment, the Spirit of God gave Paul permission, and he cast the demon out of this girl, and I believe she was gloriously saved. Freed from the demon, I believe that she knew it was the power of Jesus Christ, and on his authority that Paul cast this demon out and the one who had set her free from the misery of being enslaved by this demon who was her enemy now I believe she instead turns to Jesus Christ the friend of sinners and receives him as her savior and that's a wonderful thing but her owners only concerned about their financial gain dragged Paul and Silas before the magistrates these officials and remember this was in a Roman colony and falsely accused them of teaching customs to observe, saying, look, we're a Roman colony, and it's not lawful what these Jews are teaching, so they are stirring up prejudice, and and it's not lawful for us to receive what they're teaching, which was a false accusation. They were well within their legal limits. The magistrates and the mob whipped up them with frenzy by these two angered men, 
rip off their clothes and beat them with rods and then cast Paul and Silas into jail. Paul and Silas, though, by the grace of God at midnight, sang praises unto God and prayed, and not in a corner and not in a whisper, but they prayed and they sang praises so loud that the prisoners heard them. God then sent an earthquake, opened up all of the doors. Everybody's chains fell off. They could have gotten away, but none of the prisoners fled. What a miracle of God. And the jailer used to con men. But actually believe Paul and Silas when Paul said, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And so rather than committing suicide, the jailer came and kneeled down before Paul and Silas and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the beautiful simplicity of the gospel is this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then they talked to all those that were in the house and thy house. Not only, Mr. Philippian jailer, do you need to be saved, we need to share this with your family and with your servants and with your soldiers that they too may have opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, names bear great significance. And the name Jesus means God with us. The word Christ is the word Messiah. And Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah, God with us. And this perfect God and perfect man, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect, sinless life and died on the cross and shed his perfect, sinless blood as the full payment, complete sacrifice for your sin. He bore his Father's wrath for you on the cross. He died and was buried and conquered death three days later and arose from the grave. He has the power. He has the authority. He has the loving desire to forgive you of your sin, to make you righteous, to declare you justified, to give you eternal life and an eternal inheritance with him forever. But you must believe on him. Hebrews 11 says, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Do you believe that Jesus is God? that he is alive right now, and that he is the Savior, that he knows you personally, that he loves you and wants to give you everlasting life? If you believe that in your soul, if you will personally own that and cry out to God and acknowledge that you are a sinner and that you need Christ to forgive you and to save your soul. Jesus promised in John 10, 28, to those who come to him, he said, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. You come to Christ for salvation, he will not tell you no. He will not say, no, you, uh, you've sinned too much, you've sinned too deeply, you've done too many terrible things. No, you've rejected me too many times, I will not save you now. No, that Jesus said, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. If you will come in personal faith to Jesus Christ, and acknowledge your need, and acknowledge him as Savior, and call on him, and ask him to do what he promised to do, he will save you for all of eternity. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, not a way. I am the truth, not one of many truths that you can choose. I am the life, the only source of eternal life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You cannot be reconciled to God and you cannot spend eternity within his very presence unless you put your faith in Christ. He is the avenue. He is the way of salvation. Well, the Philippian jailer believed and his family believed and, and then the jailer that same night washed their stripes and, and, and also uh, Paul uh, and his team baptized the Philippian jailer and those within his household who believed. Well, but remember, why was it that the jailer uh, was going to commit suicide? Well, because he thought the prisoners had escaped and if they'd escaped, 
then he would have to possibly pay for that with his own life. Certainly his honor and the honor of his family would have been besmirched permanently. And uh, even if he had been executed and his family had survived, uh, they would have been ostracized and, and, and mistreated because of this perceived failure. So I believe that after Paul and Silas and this group that trusted Christ uh, had been baptized, they had a meal together, they rejoiced. Remember, it was one of those worth it moments that they shared. It was worth everything we endured to see this Philippian jailer and all these within his family and on his staff trust Christ as Savior. But they went back into the prison. Well, the magistrates realized the next day, you know what? There was no due process of law. Uh, we just kind of gave into the mob. Uh, you know what? We might have not done things exactly the way they should have been done. So we're going to send the magistrates. Remember, the magistrates were actually the same ones that held the rods. They were the ones who would have overseen the beating of Paul and Silas. They were officials underneath these two magistrates. And so the magistrates sent to these sergeants, these officials, and said, go to the jailer and tell the jailer to let these guys go. Now, it's interesting because when we think that the jailer tells them, depart, therefore, and go in peace, that was not the Philippian jailer's personal message to them or an addendum that he added to what the magistrates had given as a message for the sergeants to deliver to the jailer who was supposed to then tell Paul and Silas. Look, if you would, back with me in our passage. In verse 36, in the prison, the keeper of the prison, the Philippian jailer, told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now here's part of what the magistrates are saying. Now therefore depart and go in peace. So here's what they're saying. Magistrates are saying to the sergeants and the sergeants say to the Philippian jailer and the Philippian jailer says to Paul and Silas, go and they want you to go quietly. Don't make a scene. Just leave town quietly. And Paul and Silas are not going to be complicit in this un, unjust command. Christians should not promote injustice by just going along and hushing up injustice in a trade for safety or to pacify the powerful. I want you to understand that if Paul quietly had moved out of town, the citizens would have thought that he had been guilty and this would have hindered the gospel work of the church. And Paul and Silas said, no way, we did nothing wrong. We did nothing illegal. If we go out quietly, they're going to think we were guilty. And then think how much harder it's going to be for those still within the church to try to share the gospel with others. This group of believers is going to have a great struggle with that. But second of all, I want you to see not only should Christians not be complicit in unjust schemes, but second of all, Christians should leverage their legal rights for the good of the church and other believers. Look at verse 37. But Paul said unto them, they have beaten us openly uncondemned being Romans. They have publicly attacked our public reputation and testimony. And they did it in an unfair way. We are Romans. We have rights. And they cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. Paul and Silas are leveraging their legal rights for the good of the church and other believers. So if you ask yourself this question, why did Paul and Silas not leverage their legal rights for their own protection before they were beaten of the rods? They're in a Roman colony. 
all of most of the people in that colony at Philippi were Romans, the great majority. Remember, when Philippi was established as Philippi under the Roman Empire, uh, many of them were retired Roman soldiers, veterans of the wars, who were given lands and homes as part of their payment for their faithful service to the empire. It was, they were proud of being a Roman colony, Roman, Roman law. So everybody would have known what the due process of law was, and they highly regarded that. And so Paul and Silas say uh, they, they were apparently forbidden. If they would have said, hey, we're Roman citizens. And by the way, it's interesting. Roman citizens actually would carry around with them a little wooden inscribed plaque kind of a thing. And they would keep it on their person, kind of like we would have a passport. It was kind of like about that size. And, and they would keep that with them. You see, there was a penalty for falsely claiming to be a Roman citizen. And that penalty was death. And so you didn't just lightly say, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. You better be able to back it up and prove it. And you better have documentation. And Paul and Silas had that. Why then did they not say before they were beaten, hey, we're Roman citizens. We demand a fair trial. Because the magistrates would have backed off right away. The sergeants would have given them great room. Because they knew what the penalty would have been under the law had they beaten them openly and condemned. The answer is, just like we were looking at earlier in chapter 16, they wanted to go into Asia Minor. They wanted to go into Bithynia. And they were not allowed by the Holy Ghost. And again, as they are facing a severe beating, the Holy Spirit forbade them from using the Roman citizenship for their own protection. And though Paul and Silas did not understand that, we now understand that we know the rest of the story and understand but at that moment all they could do was trust and obey so then the question it begs the question so why are they claiming their rights now folks this was not revenge if it was the magistrates would have lost their honor been fired from public office this is at the very least and permanently barred from holding any government position but quite possibly they would have been executed and their families would have suffered dishonor ad infinity. And Christians should use their rights for protection of the church, for upholding the testimony of Christ and to prevent further opposition to the spread of the gospel. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he's referring back to this. Remember that Thessalonica was also in Macedonia. And he writes and he says, but even after we had suffered before, we were shamefully entreated. He's talking about how they were illegally beaten and publicly uh, humiliated and discredited. As you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. The word contention or conflict was, usually, was originally used to describe a contest in an arena. It was then used to describe a struggle. So the idea is that they didn't give up. They contested against opposition and injustice, and they promoted the gospel. And if they hadn't done that at Philippi, they'd have never had the chance to do that at Thessalonica or any of the other cities within the region of Macedonia. And there were several other churches, including the Berean church. Why did Paul and Silas insist the magistrates come themselves and lead them out? It was because that would be a public declaration of Paul and Silas' innocence. It would have given confidence to the new believers that indeed Paul and Silas were innocent. They had not done anything illegal. It would have given them further confirmation 
in the gospel message and in the truths of the scripture that Paul and Silas had begun to teach and disciple in the early church. It also would have been a public declaration uh, to the public that they were innocent. And it would have also made those magistrates exercise great caution against publicly persecuting that body of believers again. Albert Barnes comments, though Christianity requires meekness in the reception of injuries, yet there are occasions on which Christians may insist on their rights according to the laws. This is to be done particularly where the honor of religion is concerned and where, it is, and where uh, by it the gospel will be promoted. A Christian may bear as much as a man in private capacity and may submit without any effort to seek reparation. But where the honor of the gospel is concerned, where submission without any effort to obtain justice might be followed by disgrace to the cause of religion, a higher obligation may require him to seek a vindication of his character and to claim the protection of the laws. That's why Paul and Silas claimed their rights as Roman citizens. Because they knew that God, they were on a, remember they're on a missionary journey. They know that God's going to call them to other cities where their gospel had yet, not yet been preached. And they were going to preach the gospel and disciple the believers and establish churches and move on. And so they realized they're not going to be long at Philippi. And so they, they desire to, to share as much protection and help for the Philippian church. We understand that the persecution of the church at Philippi wouldn't have just disappeared because of this one incident but would have been greatly slowed down. And the magistrates and anybody else in that colony at Philippi would have thought twice before aggressively attacking or persecuting that church or the believers. Paul and Silas were using what was their legal right as a legacy for the protection of the church. And because their, their, their innocence was declared, when, the Rome, when these magistrates who had beaten them openly uncondemned and had cast them into prison, declaring their guilt by their very actions, came themselves to bring Paul and Silas out. It was a declaration that they were wrong and that these men were innocent. And so it would have restored the testimony, uh, not only of Paul and Silas, but of that church at Philippi. And that's why Paul and Silas were allowed of the Holy Spirit of God to make this insistence. It was not revenge. It was using their rights for the protection of the church and for the sake of the gospel. But then third of all, I want you to see that Christians should be bold and carry on the work of the ministry. Look with me, if you would, in verse 40. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Now, in verse 34, or excuse me, verse 39, you see this. And they came and besought and brought them out. In other words, they put great pressure on them. And then the Bible also says that um, in verse 34, and desired them. So these magistrates, as they're leading Paul and Silas out, they're like, all right, now look, you're, we, we declared your innocence. We came ourselves. It's kind of like a public apology. Now just get out of here. Please leave now. Why do you think please leave now? Because the more people that saw the magistrates acknowledging that they had been wrong, the more the people who were Roman citizens in Philippi would have realized the mistake of these magistrates and the greater the likelihood that they would have gotten in some sort of legal trouble. So they are urging Paul and Silas, before this became the longer Paul and Silas are in Philippi, the bigger the risk is that these magistrates are going to be in serious trouble, probably at least losing their jobs. But do you notice that Paul and Silas Almost, it seems like they almost ignore that urgent pressure 
that the magistrates are putting on them? Because in verse 40, the Bible says that they go, they left and they go to the house of Lydia. They don't go out of the city, they go to the house of Lydia. And then look what they do. They seen, when they had seen the brethren and comforted them, then they departed. See, Paul and Silas did not succumb to the pressure to leave Philippi immediately, although that was the urging. As a matter of fact, that urging, that word desired is urging, and it's parakaleo. It's the same word that we often use to describe somebody putting their arm around you and, and, and purposefully leading you or trying to urge you in a particular direction. That's what these magistrates are trying to do, but Paul and Silas did not succumb. See, their work at Philippi was not yet completed. They needed to go back. They needed to comfort and it's interesting because that word comforts the same word, parakaleo. They went back and they urged the Philippians in a specific direction. So they encouraged them, they comforted them, they urged them, they ministered to them. And then they left. But there's one more thing that I want you to see. Look back, if you would, in verse 40. And they went out of the prison. Who's they? Paul and Silas. Okay? And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. See, why are you emphasizing the word they? Because who wrote, who is the human author who wrote the book of Acts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Who was it? Luke. Okay. Was Luke part of this ministry team at the time? Yes. He uses we throughout. We, for instance, earlier in chapter 16, when Paul saw the vision of the Macedonian calling, come over to Macedonia and help us. Luke writes, we assuredly gathered that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So Luke joined them and they were a ministry team. Now Luke goes back to writing they. And you'll see in the next few chapters uh, that they is how Luke talks about Paul and Silas. And so Paul and Silas, and then we see in the next chapter, of course, Timothy went with them. But Luke apparently stayed at Philippi. So Paul and Silas, knowing that they were going to leave to go plant churches, have, have Luke stay there to continue to disciple the believers and lead them in the gospel effort there at the church at Philippi. So Paul and Silas, when they go out of prison to Lydia's and they comfort the brethren, they exhort the brethren, they, part of that comfort is, hey, listen, we need to leave. God's called us to other cities within this region to share the gospel, to disciple believers, to plant churches, and to continue. But we are going to leave you with some help. We are going to leave Luke here, and he will continue to train you, and he will continue to work with you, and he will continue to evangelize with you and help to lead this new church. And so Paul and Silas thought and even selflessly gave up part of their ministry team. Remember that Paul and Silas had just been beaten with rods. And I shared a little bit about that last week, that often people were permanently paralyzed from these kind of beatings with the rods. Most likely, Paul and Silas had fractured ribs. And they could have had other injuries. Um, and, and here they have a physician with them on their ministry team. And they're going to leave the physician behind while they go on. And besides, Paul had already suffered other persecution and physical uh, things in his life. And yet, the grace of God strengthened him. And Paul and Silas said, look, we love this church so much. 
We're gonna make sure that you have leadership in place, someone to help you, continue to encourage and instruct you. And they left Dr. Luke with that church. So they not only used their legal rights, they not only were willing, as we've seen earlier in the chapter, to suffer injustice for the sake of the gospel, because they just had to trust and obey. Lord, we don't know why you're not allowing us to protect ourselves with our Roman citizenship. You, you've allowed us to have this Roman citizenship. What a gift, what a tool to be able to use for your kingdom. But the Holy Spirit forbade them from using it for their own protection. Okay, Lord, then there must be somebody in that prison you want us to reach. Maybe they were thinking of the prisoners. Maybe they were thinking of the guards. But God was thinking of the Philippian jailer and his family and all of his staff. And as we looked at last week, I believe that God used that Philippian jailer and that jail to reach many within that region with the gospel. As prisoners would be saved and discipled and go, gone out transformed by the grace of God and go back to their towns and villages and begin to share the gospel. And as people saw the genuine change that only Christ can make in a life, many of them would believe on Christ and churches be established as God was pleased to do. And so they suffered by having their rights violated. But when they could use their rights for the sake of the church and the sake of the gospel, they used them. And they were willing to give of themselves, not succumbing to outward pressure, but making sure that before God moved them on, that their mission in that town had been accomplished. It may be, and, and I don't know what the application would be for you this morning, but there may be some ministry at Berean Baptist Church in which you have been involved. And maybe it is not yet time for you to stop. You've been thinking, look, I'm getting physically more challenged or I'm advancing in years or whatever. And it may be God's time for you to move on. But would you make sure that the job is complete before God moves you on? It may be that some of you are thinking, well, maybe God wants me to go minister in another church. Maybe my time of ministry at Berean is drawing to a close. I don't know God's will for you, but I would urge you this. Don't leave until you are sure that your mission here is accomplished and God has for you in this place with the people and the opportunities that he's given you right here. Let me encourage you to be prepared in the coming days that when you can use whatever privileges and rights that you have for the sake of the gospel in the church, never be complicit for the sake of personal safety or convenience to go along with injustice. Christians should never be complicit with injustice, even just going along when they are being mistreated, but it's for the sake of the gospel and by going along with that, the enemy is emboldened then to attack and to oppose the gospel and other believers. And let me encourage those of you who are here this morning or maybe watching by way of live stream. If you don't have a 100% absolute definite certainty that if you were not to live out this day, February 4th, 2024, if your heart were to stop and your body were to quit living that your soul would be with the Lord Jesus Christ if you're not absolutely sure of that the Bible says in 1 John 5 13 these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life 
So if you're not sure, if you're struggling with assurance of salvation, you say, I think I'm saved, but I'm not sure. Or if you'd say, based on what you preached this morning, Pastor Todd, I've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way. I'm called on him and put my reliance in him for salvation, for forgiveness of sin. Then we're going to have an invitation this morning. And just like if you get an invitation to a wedding or a birthday party, it's come and join us. So that is our invitation to you. And the way that we're going to do that in a moment is that I'm going to pray, and then we're going to stand with our heads bowed. We'll have a musician playing a hymn on the piano. And what I'm going to encourage you to do, if you're not sure of where you're going to spend eternity, or if you know based on the word of God that you're not headed for eternity with him in heaven, I'm going to encourage you to meet one of our pastors at the back of the auditorium. And they'll have someone to take you out to a quiet place and sit with, down with you and in a few minutes just review with you God's way of salvation from the Bible. And you can call on the name of the Lord. You can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. As brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, while the music is playing, let me encourage you to commit to staying the course, to staying and serving and ministering until God has said, mission accomplished. Now you may move to the next thing. And no matter how difficult it may be, no matter what you may suffer, no matter what personal rights of yours might get stomped on, for the sake of the gospel and the sake of gospel ministry, would you please recommit this morning to stay at it until the Lord shows you that that mission is accomplished. And may all of us be willing to use those benefits that God has given us, not for our own comfort or protection, but for the protection and the advancement of the gospel and for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Shall we bow our heads at this time? I will pray, and then we will begin our invitation. Our gracious Father, thank you that in the United States of America we enjoy such incredible religious liberty. And yet, Father, we have seen time after time attempts for that liberty to be encroached upon. And thank you for Citizen Impact and Alliance for Defending Freedom and other ministries and organizations that stand for religious liberty and for moral issues. We pray that you would meet all of the needs of those people for wisdom, for finances, for personnel, for open doors, for soft hearts, for gospel opportunities, for all of those things. And help us, Lord, to have discernment to be led through the principles of the Word of God by your Holy Spirit when we should insist on our privileges and rights for the sake of the gospel and for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to never be complicit with injustice and to just go along with it quietly when it could be to the detriment of the advancement of the gospel. And help us, Lord, to stay the course and to finish strong. Help us who have been running well not to then turn off the path and run in vain. And Lord, most of all, this morning, our hearts are burdened for those who have not yet come to that absolute peace and joy of fully knowing with great confidence based not on themselves, but on the Lord Jesus Christ, that their sins are forgiven, that they have eternal life and an eternal future with you. God, open up their understanding, open their hearts to receive the truth. May they see that which Satan would try to blind them from. 
and may this be the day of their salvation. May you receive the praise and glory for only you deserve it in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed. As our musician begins to play, would you stand? Friend, would you respond? I may not have addressed your needs specifically as a Christian, but maybe for some of you, God has been speaking to you about following the Lord and believers' baptism, joining a church membership. Maybe there is some sin habit you've been struggling with, and the Spirit of God has been speaking to you through the Word of God, and you would like some biblical counsel and help. Please go back and see one of our pastors so you can get that help. If it is something else or you need to make a commitment, you need someone to pray with you about a decision, you have some other spiritual need, you don't need to suffer in silence or go it alone. God's given you the body of Christ and a group of under-shepherds to the good shepherd Jesus Christ at this church, and we want to help you. Don't go it alone. Let us help you.